Our God is a good God, isn't he? I'm so grateful to see your faces here today and grateful that today we get to do part two in our series called Home to introduce our second missional ministry, Foster and Adopt, called Home. If you have your Bibles, do me a favor, open it up to Psalm 68. Thank you, gentlemen. Psalm 68. I'm going to read verses 4 through 6 in Psalm 68. A song of David. Psalm 68, verses 4 through 6, reads like this. Sing to God. Sing praises to his name. Lift up a song to him who rides through the deserts. His name is the Lord. Exult before him. Father of the fatherless and protector of widows is God in his holy habitation. He settles the solitary in a home. He leads out the prisoners to prosperity, but the rebellious dwell in a parched land. The title of today's message is The Heart of the Father. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we gather together in your presence for no other reason than to simply encounter you. God, we came to worship and adore you, to hear from you, to sense you, Holy Spirit. We came that your indwelling power might be kindled amongst us today. And so, Father, today we cast aside every agenda Every thought or preconceived notion about what this service needs to look like so that my day can be complete, God, we cast that aside. Every spirit of lethargy or apathy that says, gosh, I'm just hoping that this would be over, God, we cast that aside. Every busy spirit, depressed spirit, anxiety-ridden spirit, everything that says anything other than God is God on the throne, God, we cancel it in Jesus' name right now. Father, you have your way in this place. Arrest the atmosphere and our spirit with us that we might see you in your fullness and in your glory in Jesus' name. And all that agreed said amen. 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 Last week, we launched this series. And I talked to you about true religion. I read to you from the epistle of James, the core verses around which Project 127 was founded. And I shared with you that good religion, true religion, pure and undefiled religion that pleases the Father is this, that we tend to orphans and widows. And I challenged each one of you to take a close look at self, to be mindful, as Deacon Jason said, that you're not just hearers of the word, but also doers of the word. And when you do the word, you do the kind of word that pleases the Father. I also challenged you at the very end to be sure that you were the kind of people who were not stained by the world. For us, it is important to remember that we are to be in the world, but not of the world. I asked you to ask a big question around this whole missional effort. Is it me? Are we supposed to foster and adopt? It's wise of me to lead you correctly in this endeavor so that you aren't challenged, inspired, or provoked to simply do without having your feet firmly planted in who you are and why we do what we do. Amen? 
I mean, every great communicator could stand before you and say, this is what you must do, right? And I could convince you to do something, but if it's not what the Lord would want for us, if it's not aligned with what the Lord has for us, if it's not aligned plain and simple with the heart of the Father, then that would be wrong. And so before we really take action today on true religion, before you align yourself with the missional work that is home through Beacon, I think it's important that we set the stage that you align yourself first with the heart of the Father. It's important that we have a why behind a what, amen? And I think that this verse, this passage of scripture from from King David, this song of his is a, a perfect way to do that. I want you to understand that the the passage that I selected, it it starts off with a commandment to you and I. It says this, first and foremost, in verse 4, sing to God, sing praises to his name, lift up a song to him, his name is the Lord, exalt him. It's a call to worship. It's the same thing when Pastor Ty or Dominique say, stand on your feet, let's worship. It's an invitation to align. Did you know that? Did you know that worship, did you know that the 30 minutes at the beginning of our service is not a buffer for you to get coffee and find a good seat? (laughs) Did you know that? You know it's not elevator music. Oh, no, that stuff's still going on. I'll get there when I need to. Did you know that it's not entertainment? Did you know that this team doesn't prepare and rehearse and they don't work on dance steps like New Edition so that you have a good show? Did you know that this worship, praise, reverence, song, did you know that this is an invitation to you to align your heart with the Father? See, see, many of you don't. It's evident in the way in which worship. Oh, it wouldn't be beacon if I didn't just get mean to you, didn't it? It wouldn't just, it just wouldn't be our church if I just didn't hurt your feelings first thing in the morning. Here's the deal. I can tell, we can tell the alignment, the posture of your heart by the way in which you do or do not worship. Rather than pick on you, let me give you a good example. You know when you can find the real desperate person who's deeply in love with the Lord, totally submitted and totally surrendered? You, You know how you can locate them in the church? They're the one recklessly worshiping the Lord. I mean, hands out, slapping their neighbor, tears, snot bubbles on their knees, crying, weeping, running. You might find it annoying, but I'll tell you right now, the Father is well pleased with that kind of worship. That's the kind of worship that says it's just me and you, and I'm going to give you everything. It's not much, but it's all yours. And the psalmist, he speaks from his own personal experience. If you know anything about King David, boy, he was a great leader, sure. He was a sinner, yes. Mighty warrior, of course. But a worshiper at heart. His heart was a aligned with the Father. That's why when the Father describes him, he says he's a man after my own heart. And we're really going to talk about what the Father cares about. We need to make sure that it's what we care about. 
I don't want to inspire you to go forth in a mission or a ministry because it seems neat to you unless, of course, the Father has knocked on the door of your heart and shown you Jesus' sacred heart and said, this is my will for you. And so what he does is he says, first and foremost, sing to the Lord. You say, Pastor, I don't know if you've ever heard me sing. (laughs) No, I probably haven't. And you might think you're a terrible singer, and you might be right. I want you to understand that um, while your neighbor may not be blessed by your tunes or your tone or your volume, (laughs) God is. And when you worship, you are to worship for an audience of just one. At the end of this message, we're going to worship one more time, as is the custom here at Beacon. I would challenge you today that during the course of this message, as the Lord aligns your heart with his, that you demonstrate that alignment heart to heart, face to face, spirit to spirit to the Lord, that you would lift your holy hands and lift up your voices, that you would show him that you love him in praise and worship. Oh, sing to the Lord. Amen? We'll never be aligned on true religion if we're not aligned with the Father first. Now, what we're going to do today is I talk through the heart of the fathers. We're going to break down these three simple verses. I'm going to jump around through the Bible to make sure that we line upon line, precept upon precept, build this case for you. But what we're really going to do, oh, it's the best part. What I'm really going to do today is just brag to you about God. That's it. That's it. In fact, let me rephrase it because here's the truth. Today, God's going to brag to you about himself. Like these are his words and I'm just repeating them. Today is a day where the father walks in. He stands on this stage at Comedy Works and he says, let me tell you who I am. Today, we're going to talk about his character, his everlasting character, who he is and was and forever will be. Today, we're going to talk about his heart what moves him, what he cares about. And then we're going to talk about his work, the ways in which he goes about demonstrating both his character, eternal, and his heart, natural. So first, let's talk about it. The things I want you to know about God the Father is this. If we were to read this scripture in Psalm 68, you might think that the description that King David makes about the Father would be simply anecdotal. The world and critics of the text who don't believe that this is the eternal word of God, that it has life and power, it's sharper than any two-edged sword, would tell you that each passage, wherever it's pulled from, is just that, anecdotal. It's a story, one personal experience. And so whatever David may say here isn't really true forever. It was just what he thought then. And I don't want you to make that mistake. I don't want you to miss that. I want you to understand that what David says about the Lord because he's encountered the Lord is true about the Lord in the day of David and today. First thing you need to know is that our king, the character of our father, he is immutable. It means he's unchanging. Malachi, chapter 3, verse 6, he says, I, the Lord, I do not change. Why does that matter? It matters because when you see him in the Old Testament, when you see Jesus in the New Testament, when you when you learn about how the Holy Spirit moves in and amongst the brethren, you can know that that wasn't just a thing that happened. That's a thing that can happen for you. 
Who he is in this text is who he'll always be. So if it says he's good, then guess what? He's good. Oh, you ain't preaching with me today. Okay, look. When it says his steadfast love endures forever, then it means his steadfast love endures forever right Right now, right now, right now in the midst of your struggle and in the midst of your pain while you're lonely and scared and you wonder, is there a God who loves me? Is there a God who sees me? In the midst of my pain and my struggle, is it really real? The answer is yes, right now. He's never changed. He's never forgotten you. He's never changed his mind. He's never turned his back. Who he is is who he'll always be. And he's always been good. He's immutable. I, the Lord, I don't change. Number two, something you need to know about his character is this. He's sovereign. That's a Christian word, isn't it? Have you ever heard a person outside of church say sovereign? Never. No. Here's what it means. He's over everything. He's in total control says this in Revelation 19.6, he reigns over everything. You said, the good stuff, pastor? Yeah, yeah, that was him. Hold on, I got you then. The bad stuff, pastor? Yeah, still in control. One of the biggest critiques that people will make in your faith is you begin to be bold and share, and I pray that you do, is they'll ask you this very common question. It's something that students of apologetics, the science of defending the faith, often train to answer. People will ask this question, if God's so good, why do bad things happen? You've heard that before. There is nothing more abrupt than when you're a Christian talking to somebody about your new faith and you're like, he's just so good and this is so wonderful and I'm just living on cloud nine and who I was is not who I am and it's just great. And they're like, yeah, well, what about this terrible thing? And you're like, oh, and it hurts your heart because you don't have an answer for it. I want to tell you today that many of the people who ask that question aren't really looking for an answer. They're just looking to end the conversation. The one way that I've been able to answer that self from my question is this. Just because it looks bad here doesn't mean it looks bad to God. Just because it seems bad now doesn't mean it will always be bad. And here's the fact of the matter. I don't have his power or wisdom to see what's next. Ask anybody who's been through hell and back. You remember the worst part of your life? Yeah. Did God do something from it? Absolutely. Every person I know who's walked through the journey of addiction and entered the other side will recount the struggles and the pain of even their darkest days and say, you know what? With 2020 vision and hindsight, I can look back and say he was there and he was there and he was there. And even when I thought I was all by myself, he was right there. In fact, he ordered all of that. That's why the Bible says the steps of a righteous man are ordered by God and he delights in his path. That means that even when you lose your way, God's still making a way. Amen. The apostle Paul says, for God works together all things for the good of those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. How many things? Every last one, even the hard things. Because he's Sovereign. 
and in control. And that is a welcome answer to someone asking the question of, why am I not in control? This last year is two years. Has it been that long? (laughs) Have brought us to a place where you remember how easy life was? I mean, in the time before 2019, you didn't think life was that easy, but you look back now and you're like, oh my gosh, it was like gravy. We didn't even know how good it was. There's a sense of control that's been pulled from us, and I want you to understand maybe that's good for the Christian today. Maybe a lot of us really loved our control, and the sense of uncertainty that's happened in the natural world has challenged many of you to loose your grip on the things you hold and reach up high and say, okay, you win. Amen. He's unchanging and he's sovereign. But here's the other thing you need to know about his character. Please don't miss this today. He is faithful. Even to those who aren't. Did you know that? Did you know that the word says he'll never leave you nor forsake you? And he could put a comma with the following and it would still be true. He'd said, I never leave you nor forsake you. even if you do the same to me. I mean, our God is an all-consuming fire and his steadfast love endures forever, which means this. He is on you, always chasing after you, seeking you, loving you, and even for the enemies of God, he's still graceful and loving and faithful and he stands at the ready that you and I and others might turn back around and say, fine, you win, I'm coming home. And he says, welcome. Our God is not like you and me in our relationships when we have a simple argument about something minor and then we blow it up. I'm talking to every married couple in the house who had a weird argument, we've talked about this before, about the dishes and how they're done. We joke about this all the time because it's still something I struggle with. Let me just be honest in church this morning. Now we're raising teenagers to load the dishwasher, and I open it up, and I'm like, who did this? Why would they lay flat? Who lays them flat? It's a small thing, but I get angry. <laughs> and I take a little thing, and I can, I can make it a big thing, and sometimes it will affect those little things that are big things in our intimate relationships, in our friends' relationships, in our professional relationships. They can change the way we interact or even the way we feel about each other. You ever given somebody the silent treatment for something small? Liar. All of you are like, she's sitting next to me, bro. Knock it off. Of course. Because we humans were frail and fickle. And we let the circumstances of life influence the ways in which we walk alongside those in this life. But here's the good news. Our God never does. He sees right through this world and he is constant constantly seeking after you, constantly in love with you, constantly calling you back home to the sweet embrace of redemption and reconciliation, faithful to the end. And he always will be. Is that good? Oh, it does something for me. In study time this week for this message, I study on Sundays after church. I'm so jacked from all the coffee I drink before church. I just study for the next week. And I was sitting at my desk going to pray for my wife. I was sitting at my desk 
and studying this, and I was just just reminded of all the times that I wasn't faithful to him. Just reminded of all the times my life was totally out of control. Just reminded of the seasons of my life when I was always changing, tossed to and fro by every whim, wind, and wave. And he was there. Can you think of those times in your own life? I mean, before we talk about verses four through six in the heart of the Father, can you take but just one moment to think about how he was himself to you? If you do that, I hope you're led to a place like I'm led, which is just great humility. What kind of a God would be like that to a guy like me? Do you ever think that? Like, what? Me? He loves me like that? He rescued me from my doing? And he'll do it again? And again? And again? And here's why. Because he has a heart for you. The heart of the Father is for you. And this is a hard thing to teach, not because it's convicting, but because we simply don't know anyone whose love is like that. We're supposed to. That's what fathers are for in the natural sense. But so many of us have such poor representations of fathers and mothers and marriage and siblings and relationships that when I tell you, like, he's good, he's always going to be good, he loves you, even when you mess up and you forget it, you fail, he's still there. And he says, man, I love you. So, I'm so glad to see you today. We've just never, ever seen that in the natural Today, I want to show you the heart of the Father so that you know exactly what it looks like when he seeks after you. First things first, verse four. He says, sing to the Lord, sing praises to his name, lift up a song to him who rides through the desert. The the heart of the Father is this. He is actively and continually always ongoing on the hunt, searching and seeking in the wilderness. Ours is not a God who sits on throne on high and says, hope they get it right and find their way. No, our God has never been like that. From the day when Adam was in the garden and the father strolled through the garden and said, Adam, where are you? To the day he sent his son, Jesus, in the flesh to be both fully God and fully man, to walk a life like you, to seek and save the lost, to the days of today when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and indwells you and walks alongside you so that even when you're in the wilderness yourself, the Holy Spirit might be the one who pulls you back. God's nature has been to ride the desert to seek the lost. No God is like this. Buddha isn't like this. I don't know what Buddha does. I just see statues. But I know he doesn't do this. 
Allah isn't like this. Oh no, Allah has quite a few set rules that you must do in order to find your way to him. No, not like our God. Our God says, there's no way someone coming after you. Oh. The heart of the Father is to seek after you, to chase you, to look for you, and here's the beautiful thing is that it says that he rides in the desert, meaning that those he will find are those in the desert or in the wilderness in need. And I think this is important here because I want you to understand who he's going after and why he's going after. When he rides through the wilderness, when he seeks and saves the lost, he's going after those in need. And that's important for you and I to say because here's the deal. There's a lot of people in the wilderness who don't believe they're in need and he's not seeking them. That got hard. Here's the deal. There is a whole world full of people who are in the wilderness. They reject God. They rebel against God. They hate God. And they are stuck and lost and forever will be there because when he seeks them and says, do you need? They say, no. God seeks those who need a home. Yes. A place, of course. His love, absolutely. He seeks those who need, which means that you need. If you really want to receive, you need to come to the end of yourself. So when he rides by, you can say, Father, I need I have to show you this picture because if he rides by and you watch him with arms closed, confident in self, and you say, there he goes, he seeks the need. I'm good. He's not seeking you, and guess what? You might miss him. He seeks those in need, and then I want you to understand this. He seeks those in need because they need, not because he desires them. Yes, it's true. He desires you, and he desires you to have eternal life with him. But that's not something he's fulfilling in himself. You see, the Lord is good all by himself. He's complete all by himself. And when he sits on the throne, he's complete and done and thorough, and everything is in perfect position. He's not chasing after you because something's missing in him. He's chasing after you because something's missing in you. That's one of the reasons we're inviting you to consider foster and adoption. I'm challenging you to consider whether or not your home is to be a home for a child in need, not whether or not your home is to be a home because you want. And I'm challenging you that as you consider being a foster or adoptive parent, that you go down the road of prayer and submission and say, Lord, who's in most need, not who do we want most? I have to put some skin on this to tell you today, I know many of you want a baby. And if the Lord wants that, he'll give it to you. But there are many children who are walking out of the cute phase. They're walking to an age 
where less and less families want them. And the pain, as I reminded you last week, the pain that they experience is as they become cognitive of age and identity, it coincides with the age in which less and less parents want to adopt them. And that's when the need is greatest. Please, if you're going to model the heart of the father, don't go after what you want. Go after what's in need. If God calls you to adopt, adopt those in greatest need. I assure you, he will fill in every gap. He goes after those who need him. Amen. That's hard, right? I mean, it's real. It's just as real as I can get it because I know that even Chanel and I, when we were praying about this, we were like, we should get a little tiny baby girl. And I was like, yeah, a little brown baby girl that will look like you. And she's like, don't say brown. That sounds weird. I was like, you're right. We should, we should just get a little baby girl. And then we started to learn the process and learned how many kids missed that. How many kids are standing on the precipice of their teenage years and beginning to ask this question, does anybody want me? I don't know if you've ever been there in your own salvation journey, but I've been in a place where I wondered, does anybody up there hear me? Am I lost forever? God says, no, of course not. I'm coming after you. And I challenge you as a church to do the same. Amen? He rides the wilderness, verse 5, it says this, the father, our father, is a father to the fatherless and a protector of widows in his holy habitation. You know, the thing I think is important about this, and you've heard me preach to dads before, and I have to be mindful today that I'm encouraging to you and, and, and not convicting, not too convicting, because I, like to, I like to beat up on dads because I think it's important. I think you can take it. I think your wives deserve it. I know your sons do. But when this text says that our father is a father to the fatherless, it doesn't just mean he pays the bills. Though he does, because Jesus paid it all. It doesn't just mean that he teaches them how to play baseball. No. It doesn't mean that he's near Sometimes it, it doesn't mean that, that he's, he's like the natural dad that many people have had, which is, you know, hope he's in a good mood today. No, when this text says he's a father to the fatherless, it is the perfect embodiment of what it means to be a father. It's the example that every man in this room who is married and raising children should aspire to. It is complete. It is thorough. It is all-encompassing, and it means, that he, it means that he meets every need of his children. You see, when the father seeks those in need, he doesn't just grab them and bring them in the house and goes, all right, kid, figure it out. Ask your mom. I don't know. That's not what he does. He brings them into the home and he falls on his knees. He grabs his sons and daughters by the face and he says, I don't know if anybody's ever said this to you before, but I'll say it right now. I see you. I love you in your faults and your weaknesses and in your strengths. And I am here. I'm not leaving. I'm here today and tomorrow and the next day. Help me preach, Chip. Mm -hmm. 
Most of us have never seen that. We have so many dads who, um, they tell me, Pastor, I don't know what's going on, man. My uh, my wife is just on my case, man. Like, what's going on? They're like, you know, (laughs) just, she's like always on me because, you know, I don't make enough time. I hear this all the time. I'm like, really? Well, what, what do you do? Well, you know, I mean, I work, right? And I work long hours to pay the bills. I'm like, fantastic. That's totally good. Then what? Well, you know, I'm in a bowling league, right? So that's Tuesdays and Fridays and Saturdays, you know? So, so then Sundays comes around. She's like, you got to get up early to go to church. And I'm like, give me a break because it was late last night. Uh, most men, most dads are not great dads because we didn't see great dads. And I I wish I could tell you that generations by default or by accident find their way to evolve into better and better versions of ourselves, but that's just not the way that it works. If your dad wasn't present, it's so unlikely that you'll be present. And every year that the the sanctity of the family erodes, we see less and less of those same values and less and less of those fathers present and steady and steadfast and forgiving and gentle. And they walk out the best model that they've seen minus a few of the skill sets. And every generation, we see a, a, a poorer representation of the home. And so when I explain to you that he's father to the fatherless, your paradigm might be so limited because you've seen so little of what a dad could be. He's thorough and complete. And he meets every need. And then verse 6, it says this. God settles the solitary in a home. He, He sets the lonely in homes. Do you see this picture of our God who who rides the desert and the wilderness looking for those with arms outstretched that says, I I need and I'm broken and and I'm lost. You see this picture of our Father who is so good at meeting every need, gathering us up one by one, seeking even after the one that he might not just hold us, not just rescue us, but that he might put our feet on a firm foundation and establish us in a home. The desire for God to put us in a home is that we might be placed amongst a people so that we might become who he's called us to be totally, completely fulfilled. He doesn't just rescue you and then bring you halfway. The heart of the Father is that he puts you here today. Because there's a worship today, because there's a word today, and someone on your row today who, as a part of this home, would help you become who God's called you to be. Short and simple, you can't do this on your own. You meet people, I don't go to church, but I pray a lot. Great, wonderful. It's not in the Bible. It's fantastic. Desperado is a wonderful song, but it is not scripture. You can't lone wolf your faith. It's one of the reasons we let go of the live stream. Because you, you just don't get the same thing there. 
I mean, I tried it. Don't get me wrong. Remember when we first locked down and we all tried to figure this out? Even my family, we would pre-record service. Remember this, Dominique? We would pre-record service and then it would, it would shoot it like on a Wednesday and then it would be loaded to Facebook and YouTube and it would automatically launch, right, at a certain time Sunday morning. And my blessed family who humors me in more than one way would gather around the TV with me, their pastor, to watch me, their pastor. <laughs> My teenagers are just coming into the age of understanding what cringeworthy means, and I saw it. <laughs> Can I tell you, I saw it. I watched this person preach, and I was like, why is he so emotional? Chill out. Lee <laughs> doesn't take all that. Dominique would tell us, you know, and then about halfway through the pandemic, Pastor Ty came on, and you know, Ty is, is even more exuberant than I am, and so the two of them were jumping up and down, and they're telling us, stand on your feet and worship, and we're in our living room, and I'm like, looking at my wife, the same way you looked at your family was like, do we really do this? <laughs> we, did it. we did it, and the dog was like, what are you doing? <laughs> Just like, it looked like we were practicing cheerleader moves, man, it was the strangest season. But I love to worship here. Something happens in the fellowship, in the community, in the body. Something happens in the home. When, when Pastor Ty says, stand up, and Dominique says, nobody like him. And I'm like, whoo, that's my God. Something happens when the Holy Spirit in Pastor Rob echoes the Holy Spirit in me, that affirms the Holy Spirit in Daniel, that brings us all into one accord with the heart of the Father. He says, I came to seek and save the lost, to meet every need, and to put you in a home. You will lack Without home. You always need a place to go home. And you can always come back home. That's the heart of the Father. Is to find those who need a home. And to say, come on in. This is your room. It's always yours. It's safe here. Dinner's coming in just a few minutes. Afterwards, we're just going to relax together. Everything you need is here. Make yourself at home. Now for a moment, I want you to consider what it is like to be a child who's never heard that. What would it be like to be a kid who never had a father say, welcome home? That, that's why we're doing this. Because there was a day when he found you. When he rescued you. When he embraced you and then he prepared a table for you. And he says, that's my heart. 
And there are children who need the same thing. So when last week I asked you to ask, is it me? <laughs> Guess what? The answer was yes. Because God met that same need in you. Let me show you one last piece and then we're going to close. We've learned about the character of the Father. We've learned about the heart of the Father. I want to share with you just a few minutes about the work of the Father. This is so that you know I'm not just preaching an anecdotal story from the King of David. The Bible says that what we just read in Psalm 68 about the nature of the Father and the way in which he loves people is found throughout the text I want you to understand that our Father cares. Hosea 14, 3 says, In him the fatherless find compassion. He is tender to the raw and the vulnerable. Have you ever found him to be tender? Have you ever heard his still small voice say, Daughter, I love you even though you don't feel it yet? He's tender and he cares number two I want you to understand that he covers Psalm 82 3 says he defends the fatherless he fights for the lonely and not just fighting for them so that they get what they need but here's the best part check this out in Deuteronomy 10 18 it says that he fights also for their cause so it says that he stands in front of the fatherless, stands in front of the lonely, stands in front of the weak, and he defends them so that their needs are met. But he also goes before them and fights for their cause so that they can have exceeding, abundant, above all they could ever ask or think. That's our God. He meets needs and then some, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. He cares and he covers. And then here's the last part. He establishes. Psalm 10, 14 says, he's a helper to the fatherless. Meaning when they can't get it right, he gets it started so they can get it right. He's the author. Psalm 146, 9 says he sustains the fatherless. Meaning when it never seems to work, he makes it work forever and ever. He's the finisher. That's why he rescues the lonely and puts them in homes. It's so that what they put their hand to bears much fruit. So they don't stand on shaky ground. So the seed isn't sown into rocky ground. So that the seed isn't taken up by crows or ravens. But so that the seed takes root. And so that you he cares, he covers, and he establishes so there is no more certainty, no more uncertainty, no more question, no more worry, no more wonder. And that, frankly, is a characteristic that embodies everyone without a home, which is what's next. And the father says, me, I make a home for you. And tomorrow when you wake up, I'm still going to be here. I make a home for you. And, and the week after that, I'm st still going to be here. 
I made a home for you, rescued you from the pain of your sin and sickness. And when you wonder if I'll do it again, I'm still going to be here. The heart of the Father is for the lost and the lonely. Amen. And that was me. Is there anybody in this room that that was you? Did he see you in your wilderness? Did he see you when you felt lost or broken? Did he see you when no one else saw you? The heart of the Father is for the lost and the lonely and to bring them home. Let me pray for you today and then we're going to worship. I hope the Lord has pricked your heart today. I hope, I hope he's done what only he can do, which is to speak mighty, mighty, mighty words that would spur you to action. We talked about pistis, faith that does. Would you bow your heads? Heavenly Father, we love you. We give you great honor and glory and praise. We sing to your name, exalt you for you are good. And Father, today we thank you for this word. God, we thank you that you're faithful, unchanging, sovereign. And we thank you that you seek and save, that you meet every need, that you supply and provide a home. God, we thank you you care. We thank you you cover. We thank you you establish. We thank you that you did it for us. And if you're here today and you said, Pastor, I don't, I, I've never, this isn't mine. I don't have this yet. I want that Jesus. I want that love. I want to be rescued. I want to take a moment before we go. Every head is bowed and every eye is closed. I have a sense that there's a few in this room who have never been rescued by God. I'm going to come down so I can see you. You're here today. You said, I walked in and I'm being honest. I'm still in the wilderness. But my hands are raised and I'm in need. Father, save me. If that's you, you don't have to do anything spectacular, but I'd love to see you. Every head is bowed and every eye is closed. I see you. I see you. Is that you? I see you. I see you. Right, Rome. There it is. I see you. For those who are in this room today who've had their hands outstretched, would you pray this prayer with me? Everybody in their seats is going to say the same thing with me. Repeat after me. It says like this, Father God, I'm lost. I'm in the wilderness. I'm in need. I believe you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to die on a cross, to take my sin and my shame, and in him I'm forgiven. Holy Spirit, dwell within me. Change me. Mold me. Make me anew. Father, today, for those who said yes to you and for those who are about to say yes to your will in adopting and fostering, go before us, have your way. In Jesus' name, amen.